Good morning once again. Man, I've been excited all week to share uh, this word from Scripture this morning. Uh, actually, I've been excited all week, but I got even more excited once I actually had it written. Because if you've ever been in a place or a role where you have to write sermons or put lessons together, that can really sit on you. That pressure each week to get that thought out of uh, kind of where the Spirit's working in your life, where the Spirit's speaking in Scripture, and kind of have something to bring. Now, uh, you may know that I write pretty far ahead. Normally, I think I'm like 36 weeks ahead. I, this year, I'll be uh, sharing sermons or lessons that I wrote <laughs> last year at this time. You know, it's kind of weird. Uh, and that presents its own unique challenges. But since this month, I've been wanting to really press into who we are in Christ. Not as individuals so much, but more specifically as a fellowship. As a body of believers, who is it? We're called to be. What is it we're called to do as a local expression of the kingdom in our neighborhood, in our time, in our place? Um, but today I really want to talk about what it is that's being offered to us in Christ. What's being offered to us in the fellowship? And I, that's the part that makes me really excited about today. Today's message is called Finding Treasure. And I want to start off by telling you a story about a treasure hunt. Born, in August, uh, born on August 22nd in the year 1930 in Temple, Texas, Forrest Burke Finn began a lifetime of adventure, a lifetime marked by legend, mystery, and ultimately hidden treasure. As a U.S. Air Force fighter pilot in Vietnam, he flew, get this, 328 combat missions and obviously survived, but 328, that's a lot. Following his retirement from the Air Force, Finn and his wife, Peggy, they became pacifists and they moved, <laughs> this will make sense, they moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico, <laughs> if anyone's been, yeah, all right, um, <laughs> they moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico and opened an art gallery. Now Finn, Forrest Finn became very well known. He became very well known uh, as a Native American art and artifacts dealer. And uh, he had a clientele from around the globe. He sold pieces of art and Native American artifacts to uh, famous people and celebrities worldwide. I've got an image uh, to show you. That's Forrest Finn on the left, and this is his treasure. In 1986 alone, uh, Forrest Finn's gallery cleared over $6 million in sales. That's a lot for an art gallery if you've ever owned an art gallery. but. Sadly, in 1988, at the age of 58, Forrest Finn was diagnosed with cancer. Terminal cancer, stage four. It was not looking good. After battling his cancer for several years, he had an idea. He had an idea to fill, to take a 12th century uh, Romanesque bronze box that was, that was 10 inches by 10 inches and fill it with gold nuggets, with gold coins, with jewelry and gemstones worth over $2 million, and then hide his treasure as part of his unique legacy. Has anyone else done this? <laughs> I've not either. 
His plan, and get this, this is kind of where it's a little strange, but his plan was to carry his treasure chest out into the Rocky Mountains, his beloved Rocky Mountains, to a secret, special place. Somewhere between Santa Fe and the Canadian border, and there take an overdose of sleeping pills and die peacefully with his treasure. He liked the idea of someone someday finding an old man's sun-bleached skeleton clutching a treasure chest deep in the mountains. Just roll with it, I, I don't know. <laughs> he, uh, but happily, here's the good news, <laughs> happily for all, his cancer didn't get worse. In fact, it got better. He didn't end up dying from his cancer. So, in early 2010, he decided to still do the treasure part, but not the skeleton part. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm, that would be traumatizing. I don't know. I spend a lot of time in the woods, walking, running, doing those things. It'd be great to find a treasure. But a skeleton clutching a treasure, that'd be unsettling. So he decided to do the treasure part and, and skip the skeleton part. So he carried his 40-pound treasure chest to his secret spot, and he quietly hid it away, and there it would stay, undisturbed for years to come. I'll show you the second image uh, for you. The thrill of the chase. Later in the year 2010, Forrest Finn self-published a book called The Thrill of the Chase. It was a, a memoir talking about his life and his decision, but it contained a cryptic poem that would offered clues. Offered clues to the treasure's location. So uh, on the, in the book, there's a poem on the next image, and I want to read that poem to you and see if you can figure it out. The Thrill of the Chase. It's six stanzas, but it's got clues. As I have gone alone in there and with my treasures bold, I can keep my secrets where and hint of riches new and old. Begin it where warm waters halt and take it in the canyon down, not far but too far to walk, put in below the home of Brown. From there it's no place for the meek, the end is ever drawing nigh. There'll be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down your quest to cease, but tarry scant with marvel gaze, just take the chest and go in peace. So why is it that I must go and leave my trove for all to seek? The answers I already know. I've done it tired and now I'm weak. So hear me all and listen good. Your effort will be worth the cold. If you are brave and in the wood, I give you title to the gold. So this is the poem in The Thrill of the Chase that really set off a firestorm. Finn's hope was that word of his hidden treasure would spark a treasure hunt. To him, uh, he said he had hidden his treasure because he wanted to get people out into, into nature. Wanted them to get out and enjoy the wilderness. Uh, and he thought a treasure hunt, the lure of a treasure hunt, was a perfect idea. And it was a perfect idea. As people discovered Forrest Finn's book and subsequently his poem, they became increasingly enamored with the idea of finding the treasure. With many thousands setting about studying maps, following clues, and setting off into the Rocky Mountains. If you were in this scenario, how many feel that draw? You feel that, 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 that intrigue, like, I, I, I want to go find it. I want to find this thing. At least I want to try, right? We too would be lacing up our shoes and <laughs> putting on our backpacks. We would go as well. But Finn's treasure eluded all seekers for well over a decade. But finally, on June 6, 2020, 
the treasure was finally found. A medical student named Jack Stoof, he successfully solved the riddle. Uh, I've got a picture of J young Jack Stoof there on the left. He successfully solved the riddle and found the treasure after over 350,000 people had searched for it. And five had died trying. So much like five died trying, like falling off of cliffs, falling off of mountains, falling into rivers and drowning and stuff. And, and uh, Forrest Finn had to get on to the community, the online community that was searching for this and sharing ideas. He said, hey, guys, I was 80 when I hid this treasure. I didn't have help. Look for it in a place that's around 5,000 feet of elevation and a place where an 80-year-old man carrying a 40-pound treasure could get to. Stop <laughs> risking your life. If where you're looking for it could cause you to die, it's not there. So he had to correct some things. But anyway, five people died looking for his treasure. And then Jack Stoof found it. And there they are looking ten years, over 10 years later at the things that Forrest Finn had put inside of his treasure chest. Thankfully, Forrest Finn lived to see his treasure found because sadly he died on September 7th, 2020 at the age of 90 years old. For me, hidden treasure is the stuff of legends. I mean, we've all, as kids, we've all uh, recreated pirate treasure maps with a da dashed line and an, and an X. Or we love movies where there's people searching for the promise of hidden treasure. It's the stuff of legends. It captures our imaginations. Hidden treasures, it motivates us. Hidden treasure motivates us to go, to seek, to search, and hopefully, hopefully find. Treasure, why is it valuable? Yeah, it's, it's got gold and things like that in it, but... Why is treasure valuable? It's valuable because it's hidden. It's because it's hidden, but it can be found. And if it's found, it changes things. We know that things would be different if we could just find that treasure. Did you know that Jesus talked about treasure too? Jesus talked about treasure in the Bible. He talked about treasure and how we ought to do everything we can to find that treasure. Now, he wasn't talking about treasures of gold coins and jewels, though. Sorry. He was talking of something of far more worth, a far more, far more lasting satisfaction. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a treasure, a treasure hidden in a field and also as a pearl of great value. He was saying that it is worth selling everything you have in order to find it, in order to gain it, in order to own it, in order to embrace it, sell everything. Nothing you have is worth keeping you from going for and finding the treasure. Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 13. Let's hear Jesus' words there. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. It's a short parable, but I think an important one. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovers a pearl of great value, what's he do? He sells everything he owns and buys it. He sold everything he owned and he bought it. Treasure and pearls of great value. We, through... The ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, we encounter the good news of Jesus Christ, and in that we discover the kingdom of heaven. We find the kingdom of heaven, and not only that, we find that it is opened to us, that we are invited in 
to the kingdom of heaven and we're invited in through faith in Jesus himself. But each and every one of us is faced then with a decision, aren't we? We're faced with the decision. What are we willing to do in order to enter in? What are we willing to give up? What are we willing to sell in order to claim this treasure being offered to us in Christ? Once we see the true worth of what Christ offers to us, we will be, as Paul says, compelled to count it all as worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. As Paul says in Philippians 3.8, In Christ we are offered a treasure. We are offered a treasure of surpassing worth. We are offered in Christ the treasure of salvation, of restoration, transformation, freedom, true life, and new creation. This, my friends, is treasure. A treasure is offered to us in Christ. And this treasure is not meant to be shared alone. It's for all of us. This is why the call to follow Jesus is necessarily the call into community. We're called, if we're going to follow Jesus, we're called into a community of fellow travelers, of brothers and sisters who likewise have counted the cost and have decided, I too will follow Jesus. Come and go with me. We are called to do it alone. It's for all of us. Together, as Christ followers, we are invited to join together and discover more and more the riches and joy of knowing God and growing in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, if you were here last week, you heard me say something um, uh, about this week unpacking what we talked about last week. Well, that was the plan. My plan this week was to revisit the four marks of family that we talked about last week and unpack each of those marks uh, more fully. Unpack teaching and fellowship and bread breaking and prayer as the marks of the church. But serendipitously, I had a very timely conversation this week with a fellow group of, of pastors, uh, and one of them, while we were talking and discussing, he referenced uh, Romans chapter 12. And we spent some time there and it got me thinking. Romans chapter 12. You know what, in many ways, Paul's thoughts, his insights, his encouragement that he gives in Romans chapter 12 parallel nicely what we see lived out by the early church in Acts chapter 2. The devotion, the sharing of gifts, the loving well, and the serving each other. So you can do this on your own, but read Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47. That's what we talked about last week. But when you hold that in mind, and then as we work our way through Romans 12, I think you'll see as well that they travel on parallel tracks. So today, here's what I want to do. I think spending some time with the Apostle Paul is in order. I think it would be a good use of our time. Let's hear for ourselves the good guidance that he gives believers in Rome on how to live well, to, how to live well together under the Lordship of Jesus. Can you agree that that's time well spent? How can we live well together under the Lordship of Jesus? I believe, here's what I believe, if we listen closely, if we pay attention, if we apply what we learn, I think we will grasp what is being offered to us in this not-so-hidden treasure of gospel community. A treasure is being offered to us, but the good news is it's not hidden. <laughs> it's not so hidden. It can be found by all who believe. But a treasure is indeed being offered us in this gospel community. 
as we press into this, as we learn more, I think we'll grasp this and we will, it will capture our imaginations in a fresh and meaningful way. Can we do that? Let's turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 18. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, Paul, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measure your, yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So, if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. It's a good word, man. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all you can to live at peace with everyone. As we read this passage, I think we're struck. If we, if we truly quiet ourselves and enter into this passage and listen closely, I think we're struck. I think we find in this passage, we find that it's brimming with practical wisdom on how to, things we ought to do and things we ought not do to live well together under the Lordship of Jesus. Here we find real guidance on how to prioritize the life with God. We learn how to regard ourselves and how to live out our calling in the fellowship. So verses 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. First off, <laughs> Start here. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You belong, body and soul, to God. As part of the Christian fellowship, your first responsibility, before any other type of service or activity in the church, your first responsibility is to lay your whole life before God as a living sacrifice. 
You should offer your whole life up to God in Christ as an act of true worship. We are to order our lives around God's revealed will. We are to actively shun the behaviors and customs of this, of this fallen world. Offer your whole person to God, inviting Him to transform your thinking and the way you live. So the way you think and the way that you live. And, and in this we find a promise, don't we? We find a promise and God says that as you do so, you will discover more and more my good, my pleasing, and my perfect will for you. Did you know God has a pleasing, a, a good, a pleasing, and a perfect will for you? For you? It is able to be known. And how do we do that? We offer our whole person to God in worship. We live sacrificially for God's glory first and foremost. And then we discover His good, His pleasing, and perfect will. Look to verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give you each this warning. Paul gives a warning here. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measure yourselves by the faith God has given you. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has special functions, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is to serve others, then serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So, I think it's kind of Paul to make sure he's got our attention here. In order to make sure he's got our attention, what does he do? He, he issues a warning. He says, hey, I want to warn you about something. Don't think of yourself as being better than you really are. People back then were just like people now, aren't they? Be warned. There's risk here. Of, there's danger in thinking of yourselves as being better than you really are. Read, don't be prideful. Don't be arrogant. Don't be full of yourself. Don't be self-absorbed. Don't be self-obsessed. And this is a real danger today. In the fellowship as well. Be on your guard. Measure yourself only by what? Only by the faith that God has given you. That's the true measure of who you are. The faith that God has given you, that's what matters. Measure yourself by that. We are all part of one body. We each have a special gift, a special role, and a special function. Although we have different parts to play, we belong together. Our church has many parts of one body. We are many parts of one body, uh, and we all share one purpose. Each one of us adds our gifts to that treasure box of gospel community. Have you viewed it this way? Have you thought of what we're doing here this way? That each of us comes, we offer up that gift, and we put it in our box together, our treasure that we find in gospel community. It's okay not to be good at everything. Shall I reiterate, it is okay to not be good at everything. You weren't meant to be. 
You weren't meant to be good at everything. We need each other on purpose. Paul says, hey, some prophesy, some serve, some teach, while others uh, encourage, some give, and some lead. In preparing for this message, there was a story that N.T. Wright shared that I think captures this well, and it changes the context so that I think we can hear it in a fresh way. The seven friends met as they had arranged at 10 o'clock the next morning. It had been a late night. They had all been excited. Now they were a little apprehensive at how they were actually going to take this project forward. They had discovered that they were all interested in gardens. Interested to the point of being ready to give up their various jobs they had at present and work together at a new business. There wasn't a proper garden center for 20 miles in either direction. There was clearly a hole in the market. The question was, how were they going to get started? Who was going to do what? Now, Jeffrey and Ruth, they were the natural leaders. The rest quickly agreed that they should coordinate the whole project. Jeffrey had all kinds of contacts in the business world, both in their area and in London. He could talk through strategy with people who would give them good advice, and he would keep a sharp eye on the larger scene. Ruth, Ruth had worked in the, in the bank for 20 years and would be the obvious choice to run the financial side of the business. Meanwhile, Thomas, who could never look after his own money, never mind anyone else's, was itching to start growing things, especially vegetables and was delighted when the rest of the group agreed that he should look after that section. Rebecca, who had been a keen gardener since she was a little girl, would look after the flowers and the shrubs. Jerry was one of nature's handymen. Give him a few minutes and he could put up a fence, fix a lawnmower, make a display cabinet, or repair a broken wheelbarrow. They were going to need him all right. Matthew knew the county like the back of his hand and in a previous job had learnt the art of encouraging people to buy things they hadn't originally known they wanted. That's a gift. He would get out on the road and find new business. And Richard, Richard, there was an awkward pause. What could he do? He wasn't particularly good with his hands, though he loved gardens and was just as keen on the business as the rest of them. He had an academic background but didn't want to pursue it. But he was everyone's best friend in the group, the one who made them all cheerful. Suddenly they realized he would be the key person in the main office, greet people as they came in, organize all the paperwork and the files and write up reports. He would keep them all happy and the customers happy as well. The business was launched. If only it could be like that in the church, I hear many Christians thinking. But here's the deal. It should be. It should be that way. God gives different people different gifts that are needed for the work of the gospel to flourish here and now. So maybe that's helpful to kind of shift the, 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 the context. If we were launching a community garden here, or a farm, or something, a CSA here, we would have these conversations, we would think in these ways, like, who's good at what? Well, he's good at this, he's bad at this, maybe we should find this person to do this role, this person to do this role, and this person to do this role, and then we'll go from there. Well, that same kind of thinking needs to be applied inside of our church, doesn't it? How will we become all that God wants us to be? And how will we do all that God wants us to do? By God's design, I am good at certain tasks and I am strategically bad at other tasks. It's for your benefit that I'm bad at so many things. You're welcome, <laughs> right? I am gifted in certain areas. 
I'm, I'm gifted in certain tasks, but I'm really bad at others. And this is why. We need to need each other. We need to need each other. We're placed in a situation on purpose uh, to need each other. I intentionally, by God's design, lack certain abilities, lack certain aptitudes. That's because you don't lack that aptitude. You don't lack that skill. And God's brought us together on purpose. We need to need each other. Oddly, God's will is best expressed in that place of give and take, of mutuality, of dependency. Get used to it. That's how God designed it. All right, let's look at verses 9 through 13. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in your confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Now, although we're gifted differently, we are all called, all of us called to serve. All of us are called to serve and all of us are called to love. Okay, I don't think that comes as a surprise, hopefully. But even though your task may be different than mine, it looks different than mine, we are all called to the same thing. We are to serve and we are to love. Paul makes it clear. We are to honestly strive to love each other and we are to root out all forms of fakery and pretense. Fakery and pretense have no place in the body of believers. We are to make it a, a fellowship priority to hate what is wrong and cling to what is good. Hate what is wrong and cling to what is good. Now, verse 10 has to be my favorite part of this whole passage. Let's look at verse 10. It says, Love each other with, a, with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. It really grabs my attention. What does it look like to love each other with genuine affection? And then, what does it look like to take delight in honoring each other? Take delight. I feel great when I honor you well. I love how the ESV, the elect standard version, says this. <laughs> Just kidding. My Reformed friends think that's hilarious. Um, the ESV says it this way. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's like you're elbowing past us. It's like, no, 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 I'll get it. I'll get the door. I'll get the door. I'll do it. Let me help. <laughs> It's like we're seeking actively to outdo each other to honor people in the fellowship. What does it look like to love each other with genuine affection and to take delight in honoring each other? Think about our gospel community here. Think about Hope and Anchor specifically. Do we truly love each other? Do we delight in honoring each other? Most days... Some days I don't. And I suspect that that's probably where you're at too. Our opportunity this year is to, to redouble our focus, to really gather up our intention and say, hey, especially on the days when I don't feel like loving authentically and, and honoring uh, like number one honorer in the whole world, uh, I pray that God, through His Holy Spirit, would activate, would, would stimulate, would uh, stir up something inside of me. It says, hey, this isn't about me and how it makes me feel. It's about how I honor Christ in the fellowship. I will love each other uh, honestly, with genuine affection, and I will truly take delight in honoring each other. 
Here at Hope and Anchor, are we seeking to truly outdo one another in showing honor? What would that look like? What would that look like if we were going out of our way to just honor the socks off each other? That'd be kind of crazy. And for you introverts, that'd be a little uncomfortable, actually. It's like, hey, could you honor, but like, not so much? Maybe a little further away? <laughs> Maybe through a letter? <laughs> honor my socks off through a letter, please? Through the mail? What Paul says here, I believe, sets a lofty goal. It sets a challenging goal, but guys, it's one we must pursue. If we are a gospel community, if we are a church, this is laid before us as that which we must pursue if we are to become what God wants us to become. Don't be lazy. Work hard. Serve enthusiastically. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in trouble and always keep praying. Always keep praying. When there are needs in the fellowship, run. Don't walk. Run to help. Show hospitality and do it all for Christ's sake. Verses 14 through 18, we'll finish up with this. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. So what does this mean? It means that Paul's guidance for the church extends beyond the fellowship. What God desires for us and how we live together extends. It resonates into the neighborhood, out into the neighborhood. He says, hey, be resilient in the face of persecution. Do not curse those who oppose you. Instead, pray for them. Actually, ask God to bless them and lead them to faith. When someone's hateful, when someone's hurtful, they persecute you, our response as Christ followers is to pray for them and ask God's blessing, interceding that God would draw them to Himself. Go into the community and get to know people well enough that you are actually happy when they are happy. Go into the community and get to know people well enough that you are actually sad when they are sad. You weep with those who weep. You laugh with those who laugh. And you strive to live in harmony with all people. Can we do that? Stop looking down your nose on those who aren't following Jesus yet. Stop it. Stop looking down on people who haven't followed Jesus yet. Hang around with people different than you. Befriend those who can't offer you anything and stop being a know-it-all. I know this is convicting to some of us, but stop being a know-it-all. And as a testimony to the forgiveness that we have received in Jesus Christ, don't ever seek revenge. Do not seek revenge. That betrays the gift and the mercy that you've been shown in Christ Jesus. Do not seek revenge. Do not pay back evil with evil. Respond instead. Respond honorably with grace, with love, and with mercy in all situations up to and including Facebook. <laughs> Both inside and outside the Christian fellowship, do everything within your power to live at peace to overlook faults, and to outdo each other in kindness. Make sense? Man, I hope this is painting a picture that's compelling. This is what God is calling us to be in the fellowship and in our neighborhood together. Our church, Hope and Anchor, our church is a kingdom outpost. Imagine, visualize it if you will. Hope and Anchor is a beachhead of the gospel holding forth the kingship of Jesus in occupied territory. 
This is what Hope and Anchor is. We are sent to proclaim God's story of salvation to the world, which is made possible through the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is found treasure. Here is found the pearl of great price. It is hidden here in our field. What are you willing to do to find it? What are you willing to sell in order to claim it? What are you willing to change in order to share it and live in its reality? It's being offered to us. You don't have to spend decades searching mountains and valleys between New Mexico and Canada to find real treasure. You don't. It's offered to us by faith in Jesus Christ, and it is to be expressed and enjoyed every day here in this gospel community. Treasure. May we, may we uh, uncover the riches and the joy of knowing God's will together. May we together discover the great treasure that has been hidden right under our noses. The great treasure that is here among us. May we be truly transformed inside and out. And may we grow together as one body, living to worship Jesus, loving each other well, and outdoing one another in showing honor. That's my prayer. Let's pray. Father, your word gets us so charged up. It shakes us out of our lethargy. It awakens us from our apathy. Lord, you've called us to follow Jesus, and that has set us on an adventure, a treasure hunt. Day by day, more and more, you've called us into the riches of your kingdom. God, the call to follow Jesus that you've extended to us through grace, it invites us into this shared adventure together. And God, I pray that you would work that truth into our hearts, and that would compel us to do whatever it takes to find that treasure. Do whatever it takes to live in a way that honors you, to, to discover day by day what it means to lay our whole lives, our whole persons before you as an act of worship, to live our lives as a living sacrifice. And when we do that, that puts us in the right headspace for when we gather in the fellowship to actually love each other, to serve each other, and to outdo each other in honor. God, I pray that uh, just as we opened the Word today, I pray that something would creak open inside of us. Oh, maybe it's not been opened in a long time. Maybe the hinges are rusty. Maybe it's lied buried in the ground for a long time. Oh, God, open that in us. Lord, I pray that this year would be different, that hope and anchor would start to shine brightly in our neighborhood, that the, that the gospel note that resonates from here would, would, would just echo out into our neighborhood, and that people would be drawn to it that they would discover their life in you, that they too would find that treasure. So God, do a work in our hearts today, we ask, honestly, even more than we even understand, or maybe even that we're more than we feel like doing. God, do a work in us. We want to learn how to love well. We want to learn how to honor each other like crazy around here. But most of all, God, we want to honor you and worship. And worship happens from, uh, it stems from our obedience. So God, set our hearts in obedience to be the kind of people you've called us to be, the kind of person you've modeled for us in Jesus Christ. God, be with each person here. I pray that you'd work this deeply into their hearts. And we lift our prayer to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen.
Whew. Almost started chicken stepping there a couple times. Got me going. A couple of announcements and we'll be finished for the day. How about that? Tonight, students, Curtis and Kendi, what do you got? Yeah, tonight we'll just be in here. We're going to continue in our study, um, basically doing the exact same thing we'll be talking about today, actually. Oh, there you um, go. Great. So here at the church, 6 to 8. Um, also, kids focus. Um, Eric, great job today. Thank you so much. Sorry, I, sorry for the spoiler alert on the snake. Uh, if you'd like to get involved with that, please see me. I'd love to help you uh, share your gift in that area because some of us are definitely gifted in that. Thanks, Eric. That was awesome. Uh, hey, radio. <laughs> radio check. Curtis, tell us about the new radio state. Radio... Yeah. A, I wish I would have thought about this. H K H O P E. Run wires throughout the building. To be honest with you, but we have a radio transmitter that will be transmitting our service through a one-mile radius here. Um, so we have radios in the cry room and the nursery. But if you if maybe you've got a headache that day or maybe you're not feeling the best, you can even sit in the lot with uh, even with the rest of your family uh, and be able to listen to what's going on here. So and that's. 87.9. Hope and Acre. Kevin and Liz. All right. Hey, we view the giving of tithes and offerings as an intimate expression of faith and worship, and we want to do our best to offer multiple opportunities for you to, to give and to worship in that way. So here in the room, we have two baskets where you can give your uh, cash and check. There's an iPad in the back where you can use your debit card. On our website, hopeandacrechurch.com, there is a PayPal and App Apple Pay button. And also we have Venmo, however that works. It's from your phone, and you can just, like, uh, send money, right? Yeah, it's easy as that. And it, it's, uh, I'll forget, oh, man, Heather, what's our address? Uh, how do they find that? Uh, I think it's just at Open Church. Okay, okay, ampersand, calcula. Um, okay, at Open Anchor Church. And then, if it asks for a number code, if it asks for a code, it's 0239, okay? Because it may verify that you're giving, verifying the right place. It's 0239, just if you give by Venmo. There you go. Hey, Love Thy Neighbor is uh, getting a facelift starting in February on the third Saturday of the month from 10 to 11 a.m. Uh, we're offering our mobile food pantry in the back parking lot. We moved it to Saturday to better serve uh, the people in need, but also to make it more available for you to serve. Okay? Please pray about whether or not you'll be able to come and help us meet our neighbors, pray for them, and bless them in a very tangible way during a difficult time on the third, Friday, third Saturday of the month, third Saturday of the month, from 10 to 11 a.m. here at the church. This by a show of hands, who might be able to come and volunteer for something like that? Okay, I'd love to put together kind of a rotation, and once we get our home groups back established, I'd love to get those in the rotation to take that each month. But we see tons of people come through and heartbreaking stories, and I want you to be there and show God's love. So, uh, guys, this makes my wife very embarrassed and very nervous, but she's going to be sharing next week uh, here during worship. So I hope that you'll come, and uh, she's going to just kind of share some lessons learned, where God's at work in her life, uh, in our life, uh, over the past several months. And uh, she's been sharing with me what she's kind of been processing, and I'm super excited about it. And I pray that you'll come next week and uh, support her in that. Also, uh, be praying for our church. You've heard about what we're called to. This year is a perfect opportunity, and we want to grow. We want to mature. We want to become fully the church that God has called us and equipped us to be. 
So that involves bringing the right people into the right places, uh, us giving sacrificially, doing all the things we see in the early church and doing it faithfully. But pray for our church. It all starts with prayer. Like Paul said, don't stop praying. It begins, it continues, and it ends in prayer. So pray for our church. Anything else I missed? If there's nothing else, then let's stand and pray as the Lord taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thanks, everyone. Have a good afternoon. Thank <laughs> you.